Hey there. Welcome to What Happens Next with Ben and Philip. I'm Ben. I'm Philip. And mate, I'm here with you after having a few drinks at the pub. Oh, no, tasty drinks too, aren't they? Indeed. And let me just say this. Have you ever heard anyone have a craft beer and not like it? Look, there's craft and there's craft. There's craft and there is your in your session ale, which is your easy drinking sort of quaffing ale. Something like what we had to start things off tonight, being the Ben Spoke Barley Griffin. And then there's your craft beer, which is, you know, your 7.2% red porter, which is certainly an acquired taste and not exactly one that you could drink a lot of or drink probably, you wouldn't choose to have that, you know, with a nice light lunch or a uh, just a quick one or two on the way home kind of thing. So, there are definitely people I know of who will quite happily drink a generic draft beer all night long and would quite happily not go to a pub that served craft beer for that reason, but they will suffer through and kind of enjoy the challenge of trying to find a craft beer that they that is the most bland version of craft beer that's most similar to their generic draft beer just to get through the night. That's the equivalent, I'd say, of Americans that drink wine. Have you ever noticed when you watch a film, when they open up a bottle of wine or even on one of those late night TV talkback programs like Colbert or Seth Meyers or Trevor Noah, The Daily Show, where it's like a real novelty to drink wine? Yeah. It's like they're drinking wine for the first time or- sparkling champagne for the first time. Those beer drinkers you speak of, I think yeah. like that. Mm. It's like a real event to drink craft beer. Yeah. But their bread and butter, the meat and potatoes of beer, is their stock standard lager. And the craft beer is the cherry on the top. It's the exception to the rule, not the rule. Yeah. There is something about going to a pub and if I'm going to drink not at my house, I'll always try and drink wherever possible the beer that's on tap. You know, if you go to a restaurant, they might have like one beer on tap and eight beers in a bottle. Unless the beer on tap is something I really don't like, I'll always go for the tap beer just because it's just nice to have that tap beer experience rather because you can have the bottled beer anywhere. You can have one at home for $3.50. Why would you pay $10 for one in a restaurant? I'm uh, picking up what you're putting down. I feel this element like the 15-year-old most frugal version of me come through where I'm Mm. at a pub or restaurant and I think I can't justify paying $11 for that standard bottle of beer, which I get from the local bottle shop for a pack of 24 averaging out to about $4 each. But also the taste of tap beer. Draft beer, yeah. Draft beer. Like there's something about the ceremony of pulling the lever and getting the glass tilted and the froth. Even though tonight when I ordered our, our last pints, the waitress took almost 10 minutes to pour them because, as she explained, it was a new keg and it was particularly heady mix coming through the taps. But um, that's all part of the part of the fun. The shenanigans. Well, speaking of the taps and the lions at a pub, oh. we went to this pub in Sydney. Its name shall not be revealed, but there are many of them. This particular pub on a lazy, quiet Tuesday night was buzzing because it was two-for-one meals. It's our regular go-to place to go. And they promote themselves having 50 craft beers on tap. Yeah. Now, a lot of fanfare there. That's a pretty bold claim to make where many pubs in that area would have probably eight at the most. And that's a pretty good selection for beer lovers such as ourselves. Yeah. So, we rock up for our two-for-one meals and ready to uh, savour- few different ales, perhaps over the weeks to work through this extensive menu of 50 beers. 
only to discover that of the 50 promoted beers, every time we've been, they've probably had maybe best case scenario 18. I'd say sub 20. But on this particular night, the first three that I asked for, they were all out. The keg was being changed. Oh, sorry, that's not on at the moment. Can I offer you this one that's kind of similar? Okay, what about this one? Oh, that one's not on either. And then the dreaded glass would come out and be the upturned glass would be placed over the top of the tap to signify this one has run out, customers. Do you think the uh, line, the keg has run out, is the beer version of I'm washing my hair? I think so. I mean, you and I have worked in pubs and we know it doesn't take that long to run downstairs and change a keg over, particularly- Busyish pub like that where there was ample staff available to continue serving customers. Maybe the particular night that we go for our drinks on a Tuesday, maybe their strategy is to bring you in with the two-for-one meals. Yeah. They clean their lines out at the pub on the same night mm. and then do a hot swap with new kegs yeah. in preparation for the- For the busy weekend trade. Thursday, Friday, yeah. Saturday, Sunday. Could be right. Could be right. I'm maybe. not sure why they'd want to clean their lines out at one time. Maybe because it's just easier to change all the probably, kegs. Probably. And they probably do a- night. And they probably do like a Wednesday night trivia, so they want to get, you know, want to have the beer flowing. Maybe Wednesdays are the biggest, busier than Tuesdays. I'm not sure. I agree. It is deceptive and misleading advertising. There's no question about that. And it is disappointing when you go to any any venue that's promising the world but then delivering you a something a lot less than that. So what happens next? If we were to be publicans for a day or a year and we ran our, our own pub, would you – promote this vast selection of beers on tap and only serve a minority of those? Or plan B, would you just do, say, eight beers on tap, that's all? Or plan C, would you maybe just have a few beers on tap and the rest are in bottles, which, of course, can last much longer? Hmm. What would be your uh, strategy of choice if th- you are a publican for a day? I have thought about this before, and I think I would have to have – I would hope that the public would value my taste in beer in that I would choose the right mix and a sufficient breadth of beer taste and beer character. Like a beer sommelier. Yes. I would always have something available for any person that walked through the door. They would always find something that they liked. They would always find something to hit that sweet spot and it would change with the season. So, in winter, you'd have a few more of your darker porters or your stouts. And then in summer, you get a few more of your session ales, et cetera, as you come into the warmer months of spring through to summer. I would probably definitely top it out at 10. I don't think you need more than 10. It's just you just spoil for choice at that point. There's going to be a lot of filler if you've got a selection of anything more than 10. I would just have 10 quality beers and you can't go wrong. I thought what a recent pub we went to did very well was they had eight beers, maybe 10, and half of them were their stock standard. Maybe even, let's say, seven were their bread and butter beers that everyone comes in and orders every time. A couple of pale ales, a couple of lagers, probably an IPA and maybe a stout. But then what they did, they had three other taps. Mm. And so when you come in to offer, ask to buy one beer, let's say it's a popular pale ale of some sort, the bloke behind the counter who knew his beers would say, look, that's great. I do have this beer over here on this tap. Yes. Recently tried it. Very good beer. Won awards ABC. Mm-hmm. Similar but different. Give it a go. Similar price. Yeah. And what I like about that is that he only has those three other beers. He's not trying to sell you the other 47 beers on the menu. Yeah. 
He's saying, I've got three other beers, and I think you might like one of these. It's unusual enough to pique your curiosity, but not so obscure to think, oh, well, that's barely a drink. I agree. That's a smart approach. I like that. And definitely having a revolving choice sort of week by week like that. One or two kegs that you're swapping out every week for something different is great. And then, you know, if someone, if, if you get enough people saying, oh, what happened to that one I had the other week? That was really good. You go, okay, well, try this one in the meantime. But yeah, we'll definitely get that one back again. And, you know, a lot of people getting some positive feedback about that one. And if we get enough positive feedback, we'll put on, we'll give it its own tap or something, you know. You can make like a little competition. So, to put a bad bow on this boy. What happens next if we were publicans for a day is we'd have a majority of the usual suspect beers, but let's say three to four cheeky bastards on the side. Yeah, definitely a handful to play with. Keep it up five, keep it interesting for the punters. And essentially, basically, under promise, over deliver. Exactly. All right. Not the opposite. Speaking of uh, that pub, I'm pretty sure you know where I'm going with this. Are you familiar with- the shoe that I saw about five different women wearing that night, which is the shoe one wears after a big day at the office. It's the, more than a sneaker, the less com- than a heel. Oh, not the dreaded ballet flat. The ballet flat. Right. Give me your two cents on the ballet flat. What do you think about the ballet flat? And let's expand upon that, people, which is basically particular women who wear the ballet flat. <laughs> what are your thoughts on the ballet flat? I mean, my initial thought is this is very dangerous territory for us to be commenting on. On women's fashion. Given the broad listenership to this podcast, are very forgiving and very discerning and they know where anything we say on this podcast is only said with the very best intentions. Here goes. <laughs> um, <laughs> far be it from me to comment on women's fashion. And I've never had to wear high heels and I've never had to wear high heels for 10 hours a day and then into the evening going to the pub, particularly the pub on a Tuesday for a (laughs) two-for-one when they're cleaning the lines out. I gather that they are uncomfortable. I get that. And there's a reason why they are popular in the fashion world and also in just everyday life because they do look good and they make women look better than they do if they wear ballet flats. And that's the, I don't know why that is, but that's generally the point. We are definitely wading into dangerous surf here. I feel uneasy currents. The, the, sea, the sea is angry, my friend. <laughs> it is. And I'm not sure if two white middle-class men need to give an opinion on something like this at all, as there are enough of those opinions out there. I don't like the ballet flat myself. I don't like it like I don't like many shoes that men wear as well. Mm. There are certain clothes that men and women wear that are flattering to their gender or their body shape or their height, and there are certain clothes that aren't. I find the ballet flat – in fact, you know what? I'll broaden this beyond the lady ballet flat. I find flat shoes on anyone to be very unattractive. So, I'm not a big fan at all of the R.M. Williams boot, as in like the slip-on boot that's quite famous, you know, in terms of its origins out back in Australia. Doesn't that have a heel? It's got a heel, but the part under the sole of your foot is very thin. It's like this- Oh, okay. It's like- Three millimeters of leather. Hmm. Basically, if you're a short man. The idea is that when you fall off your horse, it easily slips out of the stirrups. Thank you, Lone Ranger. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Memphis, no river, they call me. That's right. But I just find that at least the Aaron Williams has the heel to try and provide a bit of tilt on the physique to ensure. Oh, you're probably another glass of red. Spectacular. Thank you, Amigo. 
I do find, though, that there's just something about the way that a flat shoe sits on either gender I find particularly unattractive. And let me put it this way. I find a woman or a man in Birkenstocks, for example, which actually have some sort of base, as a very casual summer sandal to be much more attractive than, for example, thongs, which we call in Australia jandals, sandals, very flat shoes. But the ballet flat is pretty much one millimetre of material or rubber. To cop out. To the solar foot. It's cop out. And I tell me why I find that like a pair of trainers, for example, I think can look smarter on someone. If you're wearing thongs, you're saying, I'm wearing thongs. I've just been to the beach or I've had a long day. It's hot. I've left my heels in the car. Wearing ballet flats, it's like, have you been wearing them all day? Did you get to work in those? I think you've nailed it. I think the problem with ballet flats I have is this, is that they want to look like they're dressed up shoes, but they're not dressed up shoes. Sandals they, they or like, jandals. They look like some sort of in-between thing. Exactly. Sandals, jandals, thongs, know what they are. Mm. They accept that they're casual wear that you slip on for convenience but they don't pretend to be anything else. Mm. The ballet flats, I feel, are pretending to try and be more dressed up than what they are, when what they really are are the sort of shoes you'd wear if you're doing jujitsu practice. Would you rather see ballet flats? Would you rather they wore- You're speaking very quietly. Would you rather- Very low energy. I'm just just nervous about this topic of conversation. Um, (laughs) Would you rather they wore the trainers with their work outfit on the train, walking to the train on the train, and then- they get to say half a block before their office and they sit down the park bench and they put their heels on, put their trains in their bag and then walk to the office and then do the reverse on the way home. So, like- Or, or just yeah. wear the ballet flats from home all the way to the office and then just wear them all day at the office. I think you got to get the trainers. Like, as bad as that looks, but- Yeah, I, you, I think- you, you got to make an effort. See, the reason why I don't like ballet flats is they're not functional. See, trainers are comfortable. They have insulation, shock absorption. They've got more- material or texture to withstand someone treading on your toe or mm. walking on coarse surfaces like mm. cobblestones, mm. which I do on a regular basis. Because <laughs> you're from Holland. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, you're from Normandy. Yeah. Well, I'm not hunting Jack the Ripper in the inner streets of ye olde London. Mm. I'm wearing a pair of cons or vans on the streets. That's the problem I have is that ballet flats- I actually think it would probably be even more uncomfortable than bare feet. Yeah. Because bare feet, at least your the soles of your feet can mould around what you step on and you actually feel and adjust to the texture of the ground. Ballet flats, your toes are cramped. It's pretending, exactly. And then it's like pinning your toes on either side into this little wedge shape. I think if I was of the gender that would wear ballet flats and give them a choice, I'd prefer to wear trainers myself because they'd be more comfortable, yeah. more durable. They give you more height, which most people prefer. You're a tall man, so you're okay, but many people prefer an extra inch of height. Mm. I think they're smarter, and if it's the right trainer, mm. I think they're actually cooler as it, well. It's a nice, cool sort of dress-down look. I yeah. agree. I agree. But I hope you're not advocating from your white middle-class armchair expert position that a professional woman would be wearing ballet flats on the train and then trainers between the train and the office and high heels between the ground floor if that's and what, the office. If that's what it takes. <laughs> you sound this, like some this, sort of character from Mad Men. This conversation is had while I am actually wearing a dirty pair of white hotel slippers that I've had for about eight years. So, this is where the hypocrisy becomes most apparent. Let me describe to our listenership our situation here. Yep. Philip is wearing very a very snug pair of mid-length 
black shorty shorts with a lot of leg, with a sheen, bit of a summer sheen to the calf and the upper thigh. And then what appears to be something that you see perhaps Hugh Hefner on a bad day wear. It looks like a Labrador's been skinned. They create these slip-on artificial white slippers that look very porn star. And look, I've got to say, those in glass houses should not provide comments on ballet flats when one is wearing what appears to be the equivalent of a skinned albino ferret. I've never worn these. Well, that's a good reason. They're yep. quite disgusting. <laughs> In fact, makes them look kind of quite porno. Is there's no heel? It's a basically a ballet flat without a heel. Let's call it the nude. <laughs> it's the nude ballet flat. Mate, the hotel slippers, everyone's seen them before. But these are actually quite good quality, so they have lasted. I kept them because they're a fun souvenir, but they're actually extraordinarily comfortable. And you can just chuck them in the wash and they come back. To, they're good as new. But then within within a morning, they're back to the being this disgusting half black color again. So, you basically described what are ballet flats. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, essentially, the point is, is that you've actually once criticized ballet flats. You've just preached to me the benefits of the ballet flat like shoe. I think what you're asking me, Benny, is- what is my opinion on the future of fashion? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. What happens next? What is the evolution? What is the next ballet flat? If the cargo pant was the next Levi jeans, well, well, what's the next ballet flat? While we're talking about unflattering, un- uncomfortable shoes, yeah. are you familiar with the quote-unquote ugly sneaker phenomenon that some of the big supposedly boutique fashion labels are not so much boutique, but a Prada or your Balenciaga and these kind of- I don't want to sound cutting edge, but I thought this was actually very old, the ugly sneaker phenom. I yeah. think this has been around for quite a long time. Oh, well, you're probably right, but I'm just- We haven't discussed it before on the What Hammers Next podcast with Ben and Philip, so <laughs> that was a natural segue, that's all. <laughs> Sorry to put a doorstop in your segue. <laughs> I walk past Prada, Gucci, Chanel, my way to work most mornings. In fact, there's a lovely, um, what's that one? Uh, not Ferragamo, Salvatore Ferragamo. What's that one? The one that the guy from The Pianist posed for years ago. Yeah, Brody. Yeah, Adrian Brody. There's a new one and it's Dev Patel walking along looking at Javier Bardem. So, who is the more finely dressed man? Is it Dev or is it Javier? I think they're- Pretty much the same. Are they eyeing each other off in a competitive way or a no, sexual way? Sort of, I'd say semi-sexual. They're both admiring the <laughs> stylings of one another. Kind of. They're wearing suits. They're not wearing like bathing suits. <laughs> it does sound like a very Euro short film. Yeah. It could be like a modern version of The Bicycle Thief or something. <laughs> Half a year plays Dev's dad or something. <laughs> They're looking for the bicycle. <laughs> uh, it's like the Red Balloon, where basically Dev's just chasing this pair of brogues all through the yeah, city. <laughs> exactly. Um, um, but anyway, I walk past these boutiques, which I've never been in myself, but they have a lot of these hideous, big, bulky sneaker, like robot shoes on display. It's quite hilarious. Which brings me to my comment about the future of fashion, which if you walk through these stores, you would think that what was fashionable now was these ridiculous big sneakers and $2,000 nylon raincoats, which seems to be what's in fashion and, you know, little quirky little leather backpacks and stuff. Yeah, I'm going to date myself, I think, in terms of my age and my taste now. I know where you're going with this. And again, the second time tonight, I'm picking up what you're putting down. I've got issues with fashion that uses, let's just say, artificial or inauthentic materials. Mm -hmm. So, 
I don't like the idea of or fur coats that use real animals, which I guess is very authentic. I do like the idea of natural textures like cotton and wool, for example, where animals aren't involved or animals aren't harmed or killed as they are with other forms of materials like fur coats. The idea of paying a lot of money for an artificially contrived polyester is, to me, the absolute epitome of arrogance because- Mm. In the past, it's been a case that you paid less for materials made from plastic, like polyester. So, the idea that you'd pay thousands of dollars for a raincoat is crazy to me. At least if it was made from a chinchilla, as terrible as that is, some endangered mammal, at least there was the effort to try and hunt it, raise it. Uh, Buy it on the black market. Buy the black market, (laughs) kill it, um, tan it, etc. There was actually- an effort, and therefore, when you're paid a lot of money for it, you're paying for all of those inconveniences, the illegal nature of the transaction, mm. the time taken. To churn out a piece of plastic for probably, what, wholesale price of like $5? And then stamp Balenciaga across the back of it in huge white lettering and then sell it to unsuspecting 20-year-old cashed-up tourists. Yeah, see, this is the thing about- You've raised a great question here. Philip, about what happens next to the fashion. That's what I'm here for. But I actually wonder if what you're actually raising is the recurring theme of fashion in Mm. that I find it gross, grotesque when I see brand names badged across garments. I find it pretty much it's the worst thing you could do. Mm -hmm. I prefer a black no brand T-shirt than a black T-shirt with Calvin Klein on it any day of the week. But I guess we live in a society where people are so judged by badges as a form of social currency that that is worth it to them. I don't know. I mean, I I always think that humanity will somehow wake up and smarten up and somehow become aware this is a big scam, right? We're taking $5 T-shirts, putting a brand name or logo on it, and then charging 20 times the price. Mm -hmm. And surely, sometime tomorrow- Humanity will wake up and think this is a whole scam because it's so obvious. But decade after decade, we don't. Decade after decade, there's a new 28-year-old or 15-year-old or even a 45-year-old buying one of those handbags that has the same print on it. What's that famous brand that everyone seems to have that's the cliched handbag of choice? Vuitton. Yep. But I think humans are just- by nature, they want to be recognised by people as being of affluence or being cool. And so, they'll keep buying this kind of crap, even yeah, though logically I find it, it makes I, no sense. I find it amazing. It's a world I don't sort of associate with or, or revolve around. I mean, clothes because they're versatile. I can wear them on this day or that day or in this surrounding or that surrounding or I can wear them to this event or that event. They'll keep me warm but not too warm or they're windproof but not hot or, you know, like- I kind of think about clothes a bit more that way as opposed to, oh, it's it's label, therefore it's cool. I'll just buy it. I am also dictated a lot. I'm a bit of a sucker for a special, so I will buy stuff just because it's on (laughs) sale. Doesn't fit that great. Maybe I can shrink it a bit. I'll put it in the dryer. (laughs) Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. I am sort of getting out of that habit. See, we talked before about the sexiness 
or the unsexiness of the ballet flat or perhaps men wearing thong, the idea of unattractive fashion. I find men or women who wear any clothes that have the label prominently displayed as being an anti-aphrodisiac. Totally. I find it a real turn off. Yeah. So if I see someone wearing just this grossly badged product, yeah. be it Chanel or whatever, and what's even worse than that is if it's actually a knockoff. That's like even worse again. But on that same point, it's the brand name product, but the cheapest product of that brand name that you can buy. So it's the the entry point. It's the two hundred dollar Gucci white sneakers. Totally. I actually saw a guy. I think it was on Monday. Was it yesterday? Was it yesterday Monday? Must have been last week. Young guy in a suit with this ridiculous big branded belt with a big belt buckle. And I'm pretty sure it was like a big G for Gucci. Awful. I was just like, oh my God, are you serious? Have a look at yourself. Anyway, that was- I guess this is just that sounding condescending and we are only in the middle of our life, hence middle-aged. But we know everything. Oh, we're young at heart and smart at- stuff yeah (laughs) pretty much everything i can't find the metaphor but i think it's one of those things that you look back on this and we've all been victims of the same thing and what's really funny is that when i was younger i recall looking at older men and women that wear these timeless clothes like polo shirts or check shirts that didn't have brands stitched on or printed across the back. You could pretty much take that same gingham check shirt from 1950 to the 2010s and it would be almost the same. Mm. And I used to look at them and think, oh, they're so daggy and boring. But this is the interesting thing about age and perspective is that if I see a man or woman on the street wearing non-branded, minimalist, simple clothes, this also taps into my newfound focus on minimalism. Yes. I will actually find that quite attractive because they're not trying to yell from the treetops that they're wearing a brand. Yeah. They're just wearing a cut, a line, a colour. Suits them. It may or may not be of the season, but it suits their face, their body shape, their skin tone. And if they wear it with confidence, and that's always what it is, right? It's the confidence what you wear. It's how you wear it that I find particularly alluring. And seeing someone insecure with hunched shoulders and eyes darting left and right wearing a $1,000 raincoat, I find much more unattractive. Some sort of- That someone wearing a $5 t-shirt. Shifty character, eyes darting around. Do you remember the agony that people used to go through in deciding which used shopping bag they would carry their workout gear or their, no, I know, or, their, no. or, their, or, their, or their Tupperware lunch this, to work? This uh, for to, Norm is new to me. So, like, if you're a girl, you would have, like, a small handbag, but then you would need to take your lunch to work or your sneakers to work for some reason because maybe you're walking good or long walk from the bus, as we discussed before or your gym clothes or something, and, and you would put them in a sort of a reusable shopping bag, but you wouldn't want to put them in a- Chemist brand. A, yeah, like a, a cheap discount chemist plastic shopping bag. You would put, And nor did you want to put them in like a, a no frills sort of fashion boutique brand shopping bag. But if you'd ever bought like one thing from, say, Oriton or- maybe even Country Road or something, you would put them in that bag and, and something that's sort of like a respectable bag that you could carry to work to make you look like some sort of cheapskate. Do you know that sort of Yeah, I phenomenon? do in the sense that- That seems was, to have sort of gone away a bit these days. No, I think it still exists in some way in that it was a combination of two factors. You wanted the better label, but also it was about the quality of the bag. Mm. So, those brands you speak of, 
they had thicker plastic, they weren't translucent. And so if you had sharp corners, for example, they wouldn't kind of stretch the yeah. plastic on the side. Or they'd be those sort of- They were structured bags. They'd be those sort of boxy sort of cardboardy bags with yeah. a nice sort of fabric handle. Yeah. yeah, not those plastic bags that look closer to the size of a bag you pick up dog shit in. Yeah, yeah. Which are really thin and small. Yeah. Yeah. And sort of translucent. Well, it's funny you mention that because in terms of what happens next, I want to raise a point with you. Have we discussed this already? I've lost track of our- Dog shit? Yes. We've discussed dog shit? I think at least three times. <laughs> I think we I think we reached peak dog shit when you <laughs> described your family <laughs> all taking a morning squat, each over their own individual <laughs> bin- out in someone's street somewhere. No, to be fair, that was an a revenge <laughs> fantasy. It wasn't a reality. Oh, I know. Still gives me a laugh when I picture it. <laughs> As you described it, I visualised and thought, did that actually happen? Yeah. But no, what I was talking about was- Pretty big hangover that night. We're talking about gym bags. Have we discussed this in the past about what happens next with the baggage you walk around with? About people that use gym bags as their, let's say, their day pack of choice? No. So, okay. There are a lot of things that get stuck in my (laughs) craw. A lot. This podcast could easily be called Grumpy Old Men. So, you've just touched on so many in a very short duration of time. You've touched on this whole bag shenanigan business. You've touched on- Dog shit, which is a recurring theme. But another one is- Ugly sneakers. Ugly sneakers and terrible $1,000 raincoats. But what's this thing that people do where they'll dress up in the smarter suits in the CBD of a major metropolitan city <laughs> like Sydney, mm. Northern Brisbane, Canberra, Adelaide, mm-hmm. Perth. Just ticked off all the majors there. Darwin? No. We've got a big list of shit. That's a khaki crocodile shorts mm. area. Safari suits. So, <laughs> safari suits. <laughs> so, we're talking about people who are very aware of their fashion, who aren't wearing ballet flats or thongs to work. They're wearing their leather shoe or their high heel or their comfortable, fashionable sneaker. And then they carry- the fitness first mm. backpack or some sort of gym franchise backpack, yeah, the, which is garish, ugly, impractical, poor, with the poor, shittiest zipper poor, possible. Poor quality. It's just like jammed in there all sweating out all day. Yep. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but I've always extrapolated from that observation that those characters, those jokers, are basically humble bragging that they go to a popular gym franchise. I think so. Is that right? Mm. I once joined a Virgin Active gym and I got that free backpack. And Did you burn it? I never used it and I think I gave it to the um, op shop, Salvos. So, some poor homeless guy yeah. in the city now. They were actually decent quality. The were they? The Virgin Active ones were decent. Well, but, yeah, see, but, see, it's the thing. Even I, if they're great quality, I don't walk around I don't walk around giving some gym free advertising that I pay- an extraordinary amount of money to go to. Yeah. See, this is the greatest scam to circle back to fashion labels, mm-hmm. which we touched on before. This is a very serendipitous segue here. Why? Why the idea that we are paying lots of money for the to a company for the privilege yeah. of advertising them? It's mm. insane. Mm. It's insane. Like, what happens next? How do you break that cycle? I actually don't think you can because. To become recognisable, they rely on every one in five T-shirts having the brand name like Nike or whatever. It's all too built in. Displayed. Yeah. And if you are like- There's a particular brand in Australia called- I think it's called Gorman, for example. 
Yeah. We don't have any Gorman. sponsors for this podcast, but they're like- If we did, example. Gorman would be all over it. Well, yeah, for example- Especially with our ballet, my beloved with our like, ballet flats conversation. <laughs> my beloved likes their fashions. Uh, we don't have many pieces at home of their stuff, but it's low key. It's unbranded. You could almost mistake some of it for being like op shop type homemade. clothes. Homemade. Homemade. It feels crafty. It feels yep. niche and so on. And so, for them to try and- advertise who they are. They're relying on people saying, oh, like that print, like that cut, like that fit, what is it? And through word of mouth and perhaps a bit of research, you find out. Whereas if someone's wearing, what's that sports brand that has two naked women back-to-back? Kappa. Kappa. So this is a brand that does tracksuits or sweatsuits in America where they're- I think, is it Italian? They're Italian, right? And their insignia, correct me if I'm wrong, is a silhouette of two naked women sitting back to back. Am I? That's right. I'm pretty sure that's what it is, yeah. See, I'm incredulous that in 2018, that is the- <laughs> oh, Does anyone wear that stuff anymore? <laughs> I'm I sure look, they do. A few pimps and like <laughs> brothel creepers wear them. But- well, isn't the irony of all fashion right that many fashions start off in the criminal underworld and then they circle back to- the criminal underworld. Mm. So it starts off there. It's popularized. People embrace it. People get sick of it. People leave it. But the people who first started it still wear it. Yeah. There was that phase in London or sorry, UK where people who were disrespectively called chavs would wear Burberry caps. And so like the old British fashion house Burberry, they made a, a line of caps. Yeah, and probably made a shit ton of money out of selling 20 pound caps in the Burberry tartan. Were they like Kanga caps? Kangol. No, they're more just like general little caps. You mean like baseball caps? Yeah, or like of, peaked kind of. Kind caps? of like a little, not like a little, more like a peaked cap, like a baseball cap. Yeah, little scouser chavs would start wearing them. Uh, little pickpocket graffiti artists, and you know that kind of thing. <laughs> Didn't do their brand much good at all. Hello to our, all our Scouser listeners out there in Liverpool. <laughs> hey, uh, before we uh, do a little segue to graffiti and, mm. yeah, I've got a great little story here for you. But what let's put next? a bad boy on that bow or put a bad bow on that bad boy or put a bow on that bad boy. Mm. What happens next with fashion? I think it goes on like this. It's cyclical. It'll always happen. Different generations come through. And even if you're 45, there'll always be those people that buy labels that won't change. That is the nature of fashion. How long will we keep wearing suit and ties for? You know, that's a fascinating question because we now have computers in our pockets, that is Android, Samsungs or iPhones, that they say, uh, you know, 10 times the intelligence or 100 times the intelligence of the computer that put a human on the moon. We still have what is people call affectionately a noose around their neck that's uncomfortable to wear, a suit that's impractical and that doesn't actually keep the most important part of your body warm, your chest. It like has the chest exposed. Suits and ties and shirts. <laughs> I've never thought of it that way. Oh, yeah. Suits and ties and shirts are the most impractical <laughs> possible clothes. Let's break it down, right? What happens next with male business fashion, okay? Let's walk this through. So, by definition, the best suits are usually a wool mix, and therefore, they've got no flexibility like a pair of yoga, Lululemon- Stretchy. Stretchy pants. So, straight up, they're just, they don't stretch as much as cotton, like jeans or chinos. So, they're, they're not water repellent like- They're not Gore- water repellent. Gore-Tex. Yep. They're not the best pants to wear in the cool of heat. 
Mm. I know that people will talk about how wool's the best thing to wear, but seriously, given the choice, you'd wear a cotton suit in summer and a much heartier woolen suit in winter. Yep. Woolen suits- Flannelette wool. Woolen suits, <laughs> flannelette suit. Yeah. Woolen suits fit to no man's land. <laughs> the wool is so fine, it's not warm enough in winter, and it's too hot in summer. Yeah. Right? A tie is just a terrible idea. It dangles, it does nothing, gets in the way. But that's where it's, you can show your personality. Yeah, but- you could also say that just having different shirt, open neck shirts. Because of the constraints of the rest of the outfit. I That's suppose. right. It's the only way you can. But if you think about it. Buttons. Buttons, I, for I would, example, I would say the I would say the only interesting thing in the last 10 years in fashion, I'd say 10 years ago, people started wearing suits and shirts without ties. And I'd say in the last five years, people have started wearing very skinny ties. Compared to previous years. I thought we'd passed that sort of Mad Men inspired era. Are we back to skinny tyres again? Not skinny, skinny, but thin. Okay. Like one and a half inches wide as opposed to two and a half inches wide. Right. Not everywhere. I think in America, definitely they still wear the fat tyres, definitely. If it's you that look- whole Wall Street, you know, big dick, big bicep. Yeah. If you look at the newsreaders and the sportscasters on American yeah. television, they have the big lapel, the big wide tie. Yep. And I think- It's very America, very I, big. But I think it, on TV it works quite well because you've got your jacket done up and so you're getting this big splash of colour with the tie before the buttons come across on the suit. Whereas if you're walking around the street with your jacket open, flapping around, you've this enormous big fat novelty tie flapping around. It just looks ridiculous. So I think the thinner tie is the way to go at the moment. But some people, people I know, they got rid of or, or stopped wearing their sort of their tie from 10 or 20 years ago just because they're too thick and they, they go for the skinny tie look. See, I personally don't like ties at all and I wear ties when I have to, but I'm such a huge fan now of the jersey cotton t-shirt material shirt. Oh, segue. Uh, no, no, no segue required, but what it does, it gives you the comfort of a t-shirt with the look of a shirt. Hmm. But most importantly, not only is it as comfortable as a long sleeve t-shirt to wear with the general aesthetic of a shirt, but it actually has more neck room. Yeah. So you wear a tie done up. It doesn't feel tight at all. And, and it moves more with your body too. Yeah. I mean, I do think that there must be a market, surely, if a sophisticated, non-niche, big-scale brand like the Iconic or ASOS came out with a suit that had 2% elastine in it. So, I wear you know, cotton chinos that are 98% cotton, 2% elastine, which is basically oh, a- elastine. Yeah. It's a game changer. I can do squats in these chinos, in these bad boys. Show me. And we're up. And we're one. And we're down. And we're two. And was, we're three. That was, that was good. You were well past parallel there. <laughs> but if they brought in a suit that was basically mainly natural materials, and this is, again, circling back to natural materials, right? Mainly cotton with elastine in it. <laughs> yeah. If it's the Lululemon- What about 2% chinchilla? Two percent chinchilla, two percent elastine, and ninety-six percent cotton. That'd be the ideal suit. I've got to say, I've bought some recent suits in times online from one of those major companies. Really, paying let's say cumulatively about two hundred bucks for a suit. Is this like an ASOS branded yep. branded yep. suit? Like, yep. a, like and a, they're great. It's they're like great. A home, like a home brand sort of thing. Yep. Yeah. And I had always avoided artificial materials in the past, like polyester. Then I realized that I'm not actually running in these suits. So the whole idea of it being non-breathable becomes a bit relevant when you're sitting in an office chair all day. And you can also churn through them, which obviously is a bad from an environmental point of view because- You know what my pet hate with the suit is? What? If you're walking along behind someone 
and the backs of the knees on the suit are just like creased. Creased, yeah. Creased. Looks like he's like slept in it. Does a woolen suit that's 100% wool have the creases? I think they smooth out through natural wearing better. Right. So, there's a trend right now in men's fashion, which is this look they call with pride, and they shouldn't be proud because it's terrible. They call it the shark skin look, which is the sheen to the suit. So, basically, what was once a negative, which is if you've got too much cheap polyester, the, shiny. the, the suit's shiny. They're oh, now making dear. what's a negative a feature. Really? Awful. Yep, awful. Oh. It's like, I'm wearing a suit. Not a lure, like yeah. tone it down. I don't need to tone it down. I don't need to be reflective to oncoming traffic. So, look, I think to answer your question, what happens next? As always, we try and force this very artificial title into every rambling conversation we have. <laughs> <laughs> what happens next with this conversation is what happens next with men's fashion. One of us will say, "What happens next?" Yeah, yeah, to try and somehow steer it back to some sort of vague structure. Well, that's that's what our publishers have asked us to do. So. So, in acknowledgement of our agent's request, what happens next? It's in our contract. Let's <laughs> face is, it. Is that men's fashion won't change radically. I recall reading Clear as Day, Clear as Crystal, in 1998, an article from New York Times saying the genes, the gene is dead. Wow. Yep. Huge article. It was like, I think it was a cover story. It might have even been Time magazine wow. talking about how finally after- 30 years of dominance, denim's, and then that lasted about two years, and denim came back and never returned, and the only person that wears cargo shorts or cargo pants anymore uh, despised- Sorry, was dads. cargo pants going to take over from denim? Yeah. Oh, I could see why denim wouldn't be popular, but I, I wouldn't have thought it would be replaced by cargo pants. Oh, there was a window 20 years ago in 98 when everyone wore cargo pants, not just soccer dads. And I used to have very this, this one pair, and they were so big and baggy, and they and this really thick khaki material, and they had the world's biggest pockets on there. Like you could store six months worth of food in those pockets. They were bizarre. I've got to say though, that I was can't in believe I, even, too, I can't believe they, I bought them when the first mobile phones came out. They were thicker. They weren't necessarily bigger as a footprint, but they were thicker than current phones. And yeah. I remember talking to this guy. And he said to me, isn't this amazing? Isn't this fantastic? And we looked at each other. We got lost in each other's eyes as we both just- For the simplicity of the phone or the- No, the cargo pants. Oh, the cargo pants. Because you'd basically dump a loaf of bread, three yeah, mobile phones, yeah, seven of milk. keys, yeah. and a small child, and a one stick leg. Of, a stick of butter. Yeah, yeah. It was fantastic. And I do recall, though, like the fact that it actually remains with me so clearly as such a strong memory- so many years later is indicative of how freaking useful they were. And then jeans roared back into fashion. And, and, skinny, and skinny tight jeans, skinny that, jeans, which you can't put nothing in the pockets. So, let me go back to suits in this regard with skinny pants. So, if you look online or you look at, say, any major franchises, any major labels, there are men wearing what appear to be trousers that have been sprayed on. They are so snug. They'd be like size 28 trousers, maybe even size 26. Mm. These are tiny, tiny men, which of course is ironic because here we are bitching about fashion, which is something that women have had to tolerate and deal with for decades. Here are these men wearing these trousers that are so tight. What's most distinct for men as opposed to women is that they're so snug, you can see their religion. You can see their cut lunch as a testy is parted down the middle, one each side, medium potatoes, and 
it's almost impractical to sit down. Have you actually seen any people in real life like walking around the CBD streets of Sydney with pants? I never have. People don't do it. So, who is buying these pants? I don't know. But who's buying the $2,000 raincoats? Yeah, point. Actually, no, to be fair, I've seen a few movies at the, uh, you know, the major franchise cinemas and like there'll be like six- some dodgy guys Chaps in raincoats wearing the same raincoats. Are they for the are they the, are they the European rated R movies that we like to watch? Or no, these are the mainstream superhero films. Oh, okay. Yeah. So they're not dodgy people in raincoats. No, these are people paying one thousand dollars. Not not like for raincoats. Not like Nicholson in The Departed at, in that scene. Oh, what he what jacks off in the cinema? Yeah. On that note, <laughs> this is a very dangerous alley. We, we can down. cut that out. Yeah, I think I think we're on should uh, just- There's a dark alley ahead. I'm going to put my ballet flats on and head back to the pub and try oh. and find one of those beers. Hopefully, they've cleaned the lines out by now. I'll put a bad bow on your bad boy ballet flats. Mate, it's been a pleasure as always. You can find me as Ben Phelps on YouTube, Instagram, Twitter. I've got a Patreon. I'm not asking for any cash. Maybe in the future, if our costs shall rise, we decide to do these podcasts in a first-class lounge at the airport or at some sort of five-star hotel. Yeah. We'll ask a few bucks to make it entertaining conversation. But until then, night, mate. See you, mate. Bye.